So we're grateful and we're thankful. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I come against every spirit of wickedness in high places. I come against every demonic force that has come to hinder, that has come to harass us on this day to keep us from receiving God your engrafted word with meekness, God, because it is able to save our souls. And I thank you for our helper, our teacher, our standby, which is the Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you that we have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you will, please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, beginning at verse 15, ending at verse 17. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 15, ending at verse 17, and I am reading out the expanded Bible. Hallelujah. We thank God for his word because this is his word on today for his people. The word of God now reads, Christ died for all so that those who live would not continue to no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised from the dead. So as a result from this time now on, we do not think of anyone as the world does or from a merely human perspective, according to the flesh. Although in the past we thought of Christ as the world thinks or as nothing more than a man, according to the flesh, but we no longer think of him in that way. If anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The new creation has arrived or that person has become a new creation. The old things have gone. Look, behold, everything is made new. The new has come. So I want to talk about today living for Christ. All of us in here, um, or I'll say the majority or some, has been, you know, overjoyed with the resurrection. But I believe some of us don't know what the resurrection means. Because if we truly knew what the resurrection meant, we would not be living our lives outside of what he has done. We don't want his death, his burial, and his resurrection to be in vain. We're supposed to be representatives of Christ here on this earth. Everything that Christ has done for us, we're supposed to model it here on this earth. We're supposed to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing things, and all of these other things will be added unto us. So we're supposed to be living for Christ. You know, sometimes we, you know, get happy because everybody is celebrating the resurrection, but we don't actually know what that means. We're just doing some lip service. It's not coming from the heart. When it truly comes from your heart, change does come. This is why when we look back and we go back through Genesis, and I'm going to move forward on what the Lord gave me. When we look at Genesis and how God had put Adam and Eve in paradise, he had put them in a garden of Eden. Before he put them in that garden, everything that they needed was already in that garden. There was nothing missing, nothing broken. They were living a life that was free of sin, that was free of sickness, that was free of debt, that was free of worry. They had everything that they needed. But how many know that the enemy, he's going to come in and make us feel as if we don't have what we need. Now that we're in Christ, we have everything that we need because of him, not because of anything that we have done. 
So we know the enemy came in, he deceived Eve, and he got Eve to eat from a tree that God told her not to eat from, and then Eve shared what she had from that tree with her husband. See, the enemy is not only going to get one, he's going to go after two or more. So if he can get that one, he know that one can entice someone else. This is why in a marriage, we have to be where we need to be in the Lord, and we have to know where we are in the Lord, because just because you married to a man or a woman, you don't allow them to entice you outside of what you believe you don't allow them to have you in a place that you don't need to be in because you're thinking that if I don't do what they will have for me to do then that means that I don't love them or they don't love me no we don't do anything outside of Christ we live for Christ we live the way that he have died for us to live so we know that sin came into the world through one man which was Adam And because of sin coming into the world through that one man, which was Adam, there was a death sentence that was put upon the world. The only one that could get rid of that death sentence was Jesus. He was the only one that could pay the price. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God through him. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The only way that it could be paid was through Jesus because he knew no sin. See, sin separated us from God. Sin stopped us from having fellowship with God. So God wanted to have fellowship with us again, but he had to do away with sin. And this is what Jesus done. The Bible said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Some people don't really look at what happened. They don't look at what really was done on our behalf. The Bible says that God demonstrated. He proved his love for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. It was because of the love of God that we're here today. And what we have to understand is we were in Jesus even when we were in sin. Jesus paid the price for the whole world. So when he died, the whole world was in him. I want y'all to catch this. The whole world was in him. This is why in him we move, in him we live, in him we have our being. He didn't wait for us to get it right, y'all. Love died in spite of us getting it right. So this is why when we come to him, we're coming to him to accept what he done on our behalf. See, sin was done away with over 2,000 years ago. Sin is not what's um, stopping us from going to hell. Because sin was dealt with. What's stopping us is accepting Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. The price for sin is paid, y'all. The price for sin was paid over 2,000 years ago. This is why people have to know that Jesus died for our iniquities. He died for our trespasses. But if he had not risen, we would not have been made righteous with God. We would not have been justified. We would not have life. We would not be able to live the life that he want us to live. He want us to live a Zoe life, a God kind of life. He want us to have everything that's needed, and that comes through Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. So we just don't accept him to miss hell. That's a good reason to accept him. But we just don't accept him to miss hell. We accept him because we know 
that none of us could have paid that price. We know that he's come to bring us life, this eternal life that does not cease to exist. It's forever and ever. Even when we die, we yet live. Is that not awesome? So the Lord was sharing with me, and I shared it with um, people on Bible study, but the Lord has allowed me to bring it back today, and I'm going to use Mitch for this illustration. Mitch, could you come up here and read the expiration dates on this stuff for me? Under the bottom, the bottom, the very bottom. Can you see it? (laughs) He's coming back, y'all. What does it say, Mitch? Don't make me bring somebody else up here while I'm waiting on you. March 2021. Is that what you saw on that um, thing, Athea? Jamie, come up here and read that for me. Athea, say no, ma'am. Oh, February 1st, 2023. Thank you. Say that again. February 1st, 2023. Okay. What did this one say? Right there in the front. Thank you, Mitch. So we have one that expires in 23 of February. We have one expire this year of April, right? So this is what the Lord was showing me, y'all. I was in the grocery store shopping, and I was just putting stuff in my buggy, just putting it in there, not looking at any dates. I was just trusting what was on it. And I was going to go home and I was going to eat it and I was going to put it in my pantry and I was going to use it without looking at the date. How many of us do that? How many of us really do that? We trust what we buy. Come on, when we eat meat, we don't know what cow it come from. Do we? We don't know what pig it come from. We don't know what kind of diseases they have had. When we eat chicken, Lord knows we eat a lot of chicken. We don't know what they injected the chicken with. We don't know nothing, we just eat it, right? When we go to Chinese restaurants, we don't know what kind of animal we're eating, but we eat it. Is that not right? Everywhere we go to Italian restaurants, we don't know how they cook their food. We don't know what they put in their food. We just sit there to eat to get full. Is that not right? So we just don't, we just overlook that, right? So that's what we trust. So when I was doing that, the Lord reminded me, when I put it in the buggy, the Holy Spirit just all of a sudden prompted me. He said, if my people, if you would trust me that way and not even question me when it comes to my word and just go on, you can have this life. You can live this life through me, but man is trusting man more than they trust in me. And I'm the creator of man. Those dates expire. When something expires, they tell you to get rid of it, don't throw it away, right? But then they say canned goods can last up to seven more years, right? You can have a canned good that long. But let me ask y'all a question. 
Do you truly believe that? Come on. But you still have them canned goods and you open them, open them up when you do believe it. Because you keep those canned goods and you eat it or sometimes we'll pull stuff out. And if we're unsure, we'll look it up on the internet trying to trust man again. Okay, my mind eggs is out. How long would this last after the expiration date? I done it. And if they tell me you got this long, oh, it's still good. Put it back in the refrigerator. Or when my son, he'll, he'll come to my house and he'll say, Mama, what you got in here? So I tell him where to go. He'll say, Mama, do you know this stuff expired? Nope. <laughs> then think about it. So then if his kids eat it, I said, they're it. They're still here, so they're okay. <laughs> what you don't know don't, don't hurt you. But what you know will kill you. Why? Because you begin to think about it. If you went to somebody, I'll give you another example. Bless my husband's heart. I had cooked for him and Jeremy for the whole family. And they were sitting down eating. And my husband said, oh, this is good. This is real good. What is this? I said, what is what? He said, what is this? I said, I don't have none of that. I had left a pot of corn on the stove that was there for at least three days. (laughs) And it was creamy. And it was just tore up. He gave some to him and Jeremy, and they tore it up. He said, this is good. I said, man, that's old. (laughs) Did he still live? Yes. You know why he lived? Because he didn't think about it. He went on. Now, the Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. But we don't want to taste and see that he's good. He, the word, never expires. There's never an expiration date on the word. It never gets old, but that's what we don't trust. We trust everything else besides the word of God. We take any and every medication based on how we feel or what they say that medication will do. But when the medication mess up an organ in our body, come on, they can't do nothing about that. You just messed up. But when the word of God, when the word gives you his medicine, the word is his medicine. He said, my son, pay attention to my word. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For their life unto all those that find them. And their help unto all flesh. Their medicine unto all your flesh. Whatever your body need is right here in the word of God, but we act like it has expired. How do I know? Because when we go home, some of us don't even look in the Bible. It's expired. Some of us don't even carry the Bible around with us to church. It's expired. The only time we pull out the Bible or pull out the word is when we come in church and pull it up on our phones. And after that, it has expired. There is no expiration date when it comes to this word. This word is living. It's abiding. It's enduring forever. What is it? The flower faded, the grass withered, but the word of God endures forever. There is no expiration date. When it comes to the word, I can always go into the word and get what I need because the price has been paid on my behalf. So everything I need can come from this word. But the problem with us is we don't trust it. We don't trust it enough to know what we already have. 
See, we already have healing. Healing is already there for us. But we think we have to do something to get it. No matter what you do or how you do it, it's not going to change what he said. If he said by his stripes, you are already healed. You already heal outside of how you feel. If he said that, you know, your debts have already been paid, no matter what your debt looked like, it's already been paid. So we don't go on what we see. We go on what we don't see. And that's living by faith. I'm still talking about living for Christ. Come on. If we want to talk about the resurrection, let's live like Jesus have resurrected. Come on, people are doing everything to talk about his resurrection, but people are not living according to what he has done. It's time for us to live for Christ. I mean, really live for Christ. We go everywhere and we trust everything, but when it comes to the word of God, we got a big question mark. Can God really heal? Can God really bring me out of debt? Can God really save my children? That tells where you've been. Can God really give me what I need on a daily basis? Can God? But when we go in the grocery store, ain't none of that. We get what we're going to cook. We go home and cook it. We sit down and eat it. And some of us don't even thank God for it. There is no expiration date when it comes to this word. And this is the part of us that we're far from. It's the word of God. This is the part of us that we don't go to, some of us, when we're in trouble. Because God said, I'm your present help in your time of trouble. God said he'll never ever leave us, nor shall he forsake us. Come on, we talk about him on Christmas. We talk about him on Easter. But are we living concerning him? Are we doing what we need to do according to what the word has done? This is why it says, I'm going to read it again. Christ died for all. He didn't have no respectable person. He died for all of us. It don't matter what any individual done, he died for us. That's why the word tells us. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. Let's read this. Y'all, I love the word. And I love that the word will bring us correction. The word will tell us what we need to do and how we need to do it. But you know what the problem is? Some of us don't want to do it. First Timothy, the second chapter. Listen at this. Verse 4. Who have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He want all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That means nobody's left out. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Not nobody is left out. Even the one that's over there in Russia cutting the food. He wasn't left out. Come on, even Rocket Man wasn't left out. None of them was left out. He made a way for the whole world. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. And for those who believe in him, believe in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So he loved everybody. Why am I saying this? Because some of us act like we just want certain people to be saved. We look at people based on their sin. 
We look at people based on what they do and how they do it. What, you know, whether we want to give them the plan of salvation. You can't look at people based on that because he didn't look at us based on that. The Bible said Christ died for all so that those who live will not continue to no longer live for themselves. When he died for us, he said, I don't want you to live for yourselves no more. It ain't about you no more. Paul recognized that in Galatians 2.20. He said, for I have been crucified with Christ. Paul recognized it ain't no longer me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. You can't even live off your own faith. Because <laughs> God had to give us faith in order for us to even believe that he's God. Oh, he's so awesome. There's nothing missing. Nothing broken with God. That's why he's Jehovah Shalom. He is a God of peace. Everything that we need, he loved us so much. He gave it to us. And the thing is, some of us don't know what we have because if we knew what we have, we wouldn't be living like the world is living. Let me go on. Live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised from the dead. See, when you know what he done, when you know that he rose for you to be in right standing with God, you ain't basing your life on you. You basing it on him. You basing it on what he has done. Because when you try to get it right, you being self-righteous. But when you're living a life according to him, that's when you're in right standing with God. Then he goes on to say, so as a result, from this time now on, we do not think of anyone as the world does, as from a merely human perspective, according to the flesh. Let me break this down. The reason why he's saying this, understand that people cut up in the flesh. People run their mouth, do all kind of things according to the flesh. But what he's talking about here is now that you're living for Christ, you don't see yourself as a natural being. You see yourself as a spiritual being. You live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. That's what he means here. This does not mean that just because I'm born again and I can cuss you out and I can do all kind of mess that the world is doing, that you don't look at me according to the flesh. That don't mean that. This means that being that I am born again and that I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, I am to be looked at as a spiritual being now, not a fleshly being. It's about the spirit. It's about that newness of life that's in me that's supposed to be flowing from the spirit. And the point that we miss is we're not seeing who we really are now that we're in Christ. That's how they saw Jesus. They saw him as a man. But they said we don't see him that way no more. We see him in the spirit. And then that's why the 17th verse is explaining verse 16. If anyone belongs to Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. That old nature that you have is dead. It's gone. It's passed away. 
Behold, all things have become new. What have become new? The spirit that's on the inside of me. I have been born again. So we're supposed to be living according to him and not according to us. Everybody got it? So we're supposed to be living in that newness of life according to the spirit. So when God began to show me this, we got people that are saying, I'm saved. We got people that are saying, I have accepted Jesus. But truly, when you have accepted Jesus and when you know that you're born again, the things that you used to do, you don't want to do. Why? Because that new spirit that's in you, that's God's spirit, you don't want to cuss nobody out. It hurts you to say something wrong to somebody. If it don't hurt you when you're cussing somebody out, when it don't hurt you that you're talking about somebody, when it don't hurt you because you're offended, you better check your salvation. You better check it good. If you can lay in your bed all night with unforgiveness, and you can go 20 and 30 years and not forgive, you better check who you serving. That's not God. With the spirit that you have in you, that spirit don't hate. That spirit loves. There was a woman, true story. She was on her deathbed. And God spoke to this minister and told the minister, I want you to fly out to this woman. And he didn't give him all the details. He was telling him, tell her, if she forgive, she can live. This woman, he flew out to her and he said, I got a message from to you from God. God said that if you forgive, you can live. She said, I'd rather die than forgive him. And she died. Some people are so unforgiving, so stubborn, so rebellious, so into pride that they rather die than say, I forgive you for what you've done to me. That's not God because when you're in him and he's in you, you can't lay there with unforgiveness in your heart. You can't lay there with the grudge. You can't lay there like that. Why? Because you have the spirit of the living God in you that loves. How can you say you love God and hate your brother? The love of God cannot be in you. You can't say I love God and I hate Teresa, I hate Tisha, I hate Renee. You can't say that. You can't, well, I don't hate them. I just don't like what they do. You still got some grudge in you. Because you should be the first one to say, I forgive you. Because it's not about me. That's why Paul said, I have been crucified. When you know that your life ain't based on you, you can forgive. Because he forgave you. See, the closer we get to him, the more we can live for him and live through him. But if you don't spend time in this word and know what the word of God is saying, you will keep doing what you're doing and you will think it's right and you will get people to agree with you. You need to stay away from those people as far away from him as you can. Because anyone that agree with you outside of the word, that's sin. And Jesus done away with sin. So when God began to open this up to me, he um, showed me in the Bible, go with me to Acts 9, 1 through 6. I think all of y'all are familiar with this. Y'all know this is Saul. 
And I'm reading out this bandit again. Acts 9.1. In Jerusalem, but meanwhile, Saul was threatening, threatening, breathing threats against the followers, the disciples of the Lord by saying he would kill them. So he went to the high priest and asked him to write letters to the synagogue in the city of Damascus. Then if Saul found any followers of Christ's way or who belonged to the way, the Christian's movement, men or women, he would arrest, take them prisoner, bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. Now look at this. Saul had so much hate for these Christians, he literally wanted to kill them. Because they were believing outside of what he believed. Come on, we have that today. We have people in the same church getting the same teaching and we have division in the church. Because some people refuse to believe the way of the Lord. They choose to believe how they were brought up, what they were taught. The Bible said the traditions of men make the word of God of none effect. See, this is how it is. If you coming into a church, a non-denominational church that ain't based on tradition, ain't based on man's laws, but it's based on the word of God, it's going to take you a while to get that uprooted out of you. But if the enemy is bringing you in the church to destroy the church, to try to get people to believe what you're believing, come on, you having hate in you because people are not believing what you're saying. It's in the room. It's in the room. Some Christians develop a hate for each other because you're not in agreement with one another. That should not be. That's not who we are now that, we, that we're in Christ. Somebody may explain something the way they understand it. You may explain it the way you understand it. But it's the same word. But you have to come and meet together. And you have to begin to pray and say, God, I don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand what I'm saying. We got to have Abraham in the room to say, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Whichever way you choose, it's all right with me because I know my God. Come on, do we read the word? When we read the word, we should apply what we're reading to our lives. It has to be someone that's standing up for truth no matter how it hurts. So this was Paul. Paul, Saul was really upset with Christians. He was getting letters to put them in lockdown. Come on, y'all, we still have that today. Some of us that are saved, we're trying to find stuff on somebody to put them in bondage, to put them in lockdown. To get people to hate them. To get people to stop following them so they can follow you. Come on, some of us were just like Saul or still just like Saul. So Saul headed towards Damascus. And as he came near the city, a bright light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And it says, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what Jesus was telling him when he mentioned that part about kicking against the pricks, what it was when you have an oxen and that oxen ain't going the way that you need for it to go. They take this sharp point and they stick it in that oxen so that oxen will go the way they need to go. So what Jesus was telling Saul is you do have conviction, but you still turning against me, Saul. You hearing the word, but you still refusing to accept the word that I've been sending to you, Saul. Why are you persecuted? Why are you coming against me? 
You have a conviction. He knew he had a conviction in his heart, but he was still trying to turn away from God. But God had a call on Saul's life. So he said, Saul, he said, Saul said, who are you, Lord? The voice answered, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up now and go into the city. Someone there will tell you what you must do. So at this point here, Jesus was letting Saul know, you got that conviction. You heard the word. Faith come by hearing, hearing come by the word of God. Remember, he sat there with Stephen or Stephen. And he went through from Moses on up to that time. And he was um, teaching, preaching the word of God. Saul was right there. That's when conviction came. But he was trying to run away from God instead of coming to God. And he got stopped on that road. So this is when Saul began to humble himself. This is when he began to say, what would you have me to do? Why does it take things to happen in our lives for God to get our attention. Because some of us are hard-headed. I have noticed that when people die or when people are real sick and can't do like they want, now they're humbling themselves before God and looking up and saying, God, what would you have me to do? But when everything is okay in your lives, when your money is right, when your family is right, when your children are right, oh, you okay. You don't have to go in the word. You don't need God at that time. But when tragedy come, all of a sudden we find time to spend time with God. We find time to sit before him, to cry before him at those times. But when everything get cleared up, the Bible is dry. It's expired. Come on, we all been there. All of a sudden, our hearts are open more to hear what God has to say. All of a sudden, we're talking to someone more about God and what God is saying. But when that is all over with, we go about doing what we always have done. Nothing. Now we're ready to participate in things. Now we're ready to humble ourselves and apologize to everybody that hurt us. But once we get a clean report and find out we're going to live, all of a sudden, a week later, we go back to the same dirty mouth. We go back to the same things. Why? Because our heart wasn't right. That's why we got to root up these things that's in our lives that's stopping us from getting where we need to be with God. Did y'all know that this resurrection is also about him resurrecting so we won't have to go through the wrath that's going to be poured out? Y'all, there's a wrath. See, some people are feeling like they're okay not accepting Jesus. They feel like I'm living a good life. I'm not sick. I got money in the bank. You know, I feel good. I got a good job. Why do I need to be saved? I go to church. I pay my tithes. Just because you're good, that don't mean you're going to get to heaven. There is none good. Go with me to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter, say there is none. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understand. There's none that seek after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. 
Their throat is an open sculpture with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asap is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The word speaks. So we can't go on just because a person is feeding you every time you go out to eat. That's a good person. Just because a person go visit the sick, that's a good person. Just because a person show up in church before you do, that's a good person. Just because that person don't cuss and go to clubs, that's a good person. Just because that person don't drink, don't smoke, that's a good person. No. Until you accept Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, there's none good. No, not one. I remember years ago when I didn't go to clubs. I did sneak out to clubs. Now I can tell it. I did sneak out and I went to clubs. <laughs> but nobody recognized me in those clubs. They didn't think I was from around here because I wasn't in them all the time. See, when you're in these clubs all the time, they recognize you. This is why so many women get called hoes. Women make a name for themselves. Because when they're hanging out to every party, when they're all over every man, you don't even have to sleep with them. You're already a hoe. Yeah. That's how people recognize you. Oh, I know her. I know that hoe. Women even calling themselves bees. What's up, bee? Come on. You, you putting yourself there. So when a man call you that, you're ready to fight. You're ready to call them up. You put yourself in that. Oh, I'm going somewhere. You put yourself in that place. But because of Jesus, no matter where I was then, that's not who I am now. That's why you have to know about this resurrection. Because see, there is a wrath to come and he don't want us to be a part of God's wrath that's going to come upon this whole earth. There's going to be a wrath, y'all, like never before. See, we take this being born again, we take it as if I don't need to be born again. I have everything I need. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Because in him is life. In him is a life that will never stop existing. Even after you die, you live in. He don't want us to go to hell. He didn't create hell for us. He created it for the devil and those angels. He didn't create it for us. This is why it's up to us, the ones that are truly born again, to go out and give the good news concerning the kingdom of God. The same good news that Christ brought. Repent. Have a change of heart. Have a change of mind. Because the kingdom has come. So we have to be the ones that bring the kingdom because he don't want his wrath to be poured out because he love us so much. God forewarns us. He sends us people to let those people know about his love, about what his grace done. You don't have to live the way you live in because grace saves you. 
Grace is his unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor that he gave you. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You cannot save yourself. Nothing that you do can save you. He has already saved you through his son. But by accepting his son, that's the only way you can get into the kingdom. So we see that he don't want us to be here for that wrath to come. See, y'all, if some of us are here for the rapture, when we hear that trumpet, it's only going to be those that hear that trumpet. It's going to be those that hear the trumpet, just like we're sitting here today. The ones that's left behind is only going to see the clothes of the ones that was raptured up, that was caught up to meet Jesus. And the ones that are caught up to meet Jesus, the dead shall rise first. The ones that died in Christ, they're going to rise first. And then we're going to meet them in the air. It's going to be like a family reunion. And what he's going to do, he's going to take us to heaven. We're going to stay up there for seven years in heaven. For seven years. Why is he leaving us there for seven years? Because of this tribulation. There's going to be a tribulation that's going to pour out the wrath of God. And it's going to be so bad, y'all, that he don't want us to be here for that tribulation. You think things are happening now? If you're left behind, it's going to be worse than what it is now. This is why we have to be the ones, if we know about what Jesus done, why aren't we living according to what he's done? Why aren't we telling people what he done? Because we don't want them to be here for the wrath to come. We want them to have what we have, which is eternal life. Not only having it when we get to heaven, but having it here and now. So this is what we're supposed to be doing. Not fighting with one another. Not doing that, but showing the love of God, being his followers, being his disciples. Oh, y'all, it's so much. Mm. But I'm going to take my time. Because, see, people are out of the way when it comes to Jesus. You're still trying to do what you want to do and thinking you're doing what he's telling you to do. It ain't about you. So we see Saul and what he did. He was persecuting the Christians. But when he saw that light that was shined down from heaven, which was Jesus speaking to his heart, he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He was humbling himself. But then when we look in Acts 9, 10, it said there was a follower of Jesus in Damascus. I don't want to go too far. Named Ananias. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. Ananias. Now, remember, he was a disciple. Ananias didn't have a title. Y'all catch that? God can talk to whomever he want to talk to that want to listen. God can give a message to whomever he want to give a message to if they want to listen. He was a disciple. He wasn't no prophet. He was a disciple. Ananias answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to Scrape Street. And he said, find the house of justice. And then he began to, and asked for a man named Saul from the city of Tarsus. And then he told him, he is there now praying. Saul has seen a vision in which a man named Ananias comes to him and lays his hands on him. Then he's able to see again. So guess what God did? He let Ananias know what was going on. He let Ananias who, to know who he was sending him to. 
he let Ananias know that Paul was praying. They had to be on one accord. But Ananias, listen to Ananias. After God told him all this. But Ananias answered, Lord, many people have told me about this man. And the terrible, evil, harm things he did to your holy people, saints in Jerusalem. Now he has come here to Damascus and leading the, and leading the chief priests have given him the power, authority to arrest, bind everyone who worships you or call on your name. Now listen at this. Now I'm going back to where I was in 2 Corinthians 5. Remember God say, no, no man after the flesh. See, Paul now, he was um, accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He was, Ananias shouldn't be looking at him according to the flesh. He should be looking at him as being a new creation. So this is what he said. But the Lord said to Ananias, go with authority. I have chosen Saul for an important work. He's my chosen vessel. He must tell about me to the Gentile nations, to kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So look at what God did. When Ananias was coming at uh, Saul, was putting him down based on what he used to do. Do not let nobody base your life on who you used to be. You have to know who you are now that you're in Christ. Don't get upset when people coming at you based on your old life. Because when you know who you are, you don't get upset. So God corrected him. Now go to verse 17. So we know Ananias went to the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me. He's the one you saw appear to you on the road. Your way here, he sent me so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something that looked like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes and he was able to see again. Then Saul got up and was baptized. After he ate some food, he, his strength returned. And then it tells about Saul preaching. I'm going to get there. Look what happened. At that time, remember Saul had humbled himself in the beginning, right? He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He just told him where to go. But then Ananias began to speak to Paul according to what God had already told Saul. So he got baptized. That means he was born again right then and there. He accepted Jesus. But look at this. Then Saul began to preach in Damascus. Saul stayed with the followers of Jesus' disciples, listen at this, in Damascus for a few days. Soon, immediately at once, he began to preach about, proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, Jesus, this one, he's the son of God. Verse 21. All the people who heard him were amazed. They said this, the man who's in Jerusalem trying to destroy, raising havoc for attacking those who trust in, worship, call on the name of Jesus, the name represents that person he came here to arrest bind them and take them back to the chief priests but guess what they were coming against Saul y'all these were disciples these were believers these was followers of Jesus Christ they did not want to believe that this man had changed because they was looking in the flesh instead of looking in the spirit how many of us look at people in the flesh instead of looking at them in the spirit if that person because of their past life. If they have accepted Jesus, you should see them in the spirit, not in the flesh. You shouldn't look at if they were a prostitute. You shouldn't look at if they were a drug addict. You shouldn't look at what they used to do. But let me tell you what Saul did. Verse 22. 
But Saul grew more powerful, capable, effective. His proofs that Jesus is the Christ were so strong that his own people, the Jews who live in Damascus, could not argue with him. This is the part I want to go over. Remember I said we should see people in the spirit and not see them in the flesh. We shouldn't go on their past life or what they did or how they did it. But guess what Saul did? If you don't want people to see you in the flesh, quit acting fleshly. If you don't want people to see you in the flesh, quit acting fleshly. Quit bowing up. Quit cussing people out. Quit getting angry. Quit getting offended and always saying, I'm still saved, but I kick your butt. I'm still saved, but I cuss you out. I'm still saved. Quit using your grace card. Jesus didn't live like that. If you still saved, you wouldn't be acting like the world. You wouldn't be doing what the world is doing. And still trying to justify your saved. I'm going to read this again. But Saul grew more powerful, capable, effective. His proof that Jesus is the Christ was so strong that his own people in Damascus could not argue with him. When you're living your life according to Christ, come on, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be talked about. You're going to be lied on. But you ain't going to care. Because you're living according to Christ. You're not living according to man. You're not living to please man. You're living to please God. So it don't matter what man does, you don't do what they do. Okay, let's go to verse 23. After many days, sometime later, they, the Jews, made plans, plots to kill Saul. They were watching the city gates day and night to kill him, but Saul learned about their plan. One night, some followers, disciples of Saul, helped him leave the city by lowering him in a basket. So we know they helped him. But listen at this, verse 26. When Saul went to Jerusalem, it says that a group of followers, disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he was really a follower. But Barnabas accepted, took hold of Saul, and took him to the apostles. Barnabas explained to them that Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and the Lord had spoken to Saul. Then he told them how boldly Saul had preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So look at this. We had some followers that were afraid of him, that didn't want to be a part of him. But then God used Barnabas to help Saul, to give them the word that God had given him. And look at this, verse 28. And Saul stayed with the followers, going everywhere or going around opening with them in and out of Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He would often talk and argue. He would often talk and argue, debate with the Jewish people who spoke Greek. But the part that I wanted to get to was he did not change who he was. His life was never based on Saul, what Saul did. His life was based on Jesus. He always preached the word of God. He always preached the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did it boldly. So when you're teaching, when you're preaching, when you're going out for him, you're supposed to reflect him and not you. Anytime 
you get out of the word of God, you reflect in you. You're supposed to be where the word will have for you to be. The reason why I'm bringing this out is because the resurrection is about living what Christ have done. We can talk about resurrection and how he rose, but he's in you. And it's supposed to be an inward change that's supposed to reflect an outward change. It starts within and it comes out, not in out. So what we need to do is get into the word of God, allow the word to get into us. And as we get into the word of God, renewing our mind, being transformed, change by the word of God, we will see change in our lives. Let's stop living like the world is living and living like who we are now that we are in Christ. I want to leave that with you because I feel as if the church has gotten beside itself. The church is still saying they're the church, but they're living according to the world. And that's not how God wants us to live. And it really grieves me, and I know it's the Holy Spirit, because we have some people talking about Christ but not being about Christ. If you're going to talk about him, you got to be about him. Yes, all of us get hurt through people. We get hurt through situations. We do get hurt, but we deal with that hurt through the word of God. Yes, some of us get angry. Yes, some of us are provoked, but we deal with it in a loving way through the word of God. You can't say you a man or woman of God and living outside the word of God. Don't use that no more. You can't tell somebody what to do and you're not doing it yourself. Who am I to tell y'all you need to pay your tithes and I'm not paying mine? Who am I to tell y'all to do something that I'm not doing? That's a hypocrite. People don't want to hear you. And the thing is, when we do things over and over and over again, even when we're doing things the right way, people still looking at you another way. Because you have done it so many times. See, your heart got to be right before God. Salvation is a change of heart. I'm going to say this again. The ones that are truly saved, that have truly accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The new nature that's in you, that new nature, the old nature that used to control you, that sinful nature, that controlled you. But now that you have a new nature in you, you don't want to do what that old nature used to do. You don't want to do it. It makes you sick. You don't want to do the same thing. You don't want to say the same thing. And even when you say a cuss word, conviction come. Conviction of righteousness. Letting you know that no corrupt communication be. Oh, forgive me. That was not appropriate. Don't even say you don't know where that come from. You did. I don't even know where that come from. Yes, you do. Come on. The more you spend time in this word, the more conviction you're going to get of righteousness, of who you are in Christ. He paid the price for us, y'all. And the price that he has paid, we should not be living any kind of way. We should want what he wants. We should hate what he hates. We don't want to be around what he don't. How in the world can you be around sin and enjoy it? Ain't no way. And if people are hanging around you and they're still disrespectful, you need to go home and you need to say, God, check me. If they're around you cussing, and I'll say this, 
People don't even have to be saved to have respect. You don't. Because even for elderly people, you still should have respect and don't have to be saved. Because it's the way you're raised. When you're raised like a hoodlum, like a gangster, that's what you're going to portray. But you, when you're raised in a loving home and you're so respectful, I, even Jeremy, Lord knows my son loved to talk, y'all. That was a talking young. And every call I got, this is what they would say about my son. Miss Bryant, I'm calling you. I say about Jeremy. She said, yes, ma'am. She said, I want to say this, Miss Bryant. This lady was about in tears. And I don't know if my husband remembered it. It was in middle school. She said, please, Miss Bryant, please do this for me. I said, what in the world going on? She said, your son is very respectful, but he don't know how to be quiet. And you need to get him out of this class. Please, Miss Bryant, please get him out of this class. If you don't get him out of this class, it's going to ruin him because we got some people in this class that ain't good for him. Again, he's very respectful, but he don't know how to be quiet. He's in with the wrong crowd, Miss Bryant. She was begging me. Do you remember that lady? But see, my son wanted to act like he had an image like everybody else. He wanted to act gangster. Yeah, he wanted to act gangster. I'll say this. I don't know if Gloria remember this. Her daughter and my son used to hang together cousins. Eric, you probably remember too. I did a sermon one Sunday. After I did that sermon, Gloria's daughter come to me in tears. Ma, she would call me Ma. I got something to tell you, Ma. I got to, got to make a confession, Ma. I got to make a confession. I said, what is it? The sermon spoke to her heart. It gave her conviction. She said, I got to tell you what me and Jeremy been doing. We jumped the ditch, but we did it. They smoked. They jumped the ditch. They smoked off the church ground. But they did it. Conviction hit her heart so strong. Jeremy said, why you tell on me for? <laughs> that's you. That's your conviction. You ain't have to put me in it. But the Lord knew. Do you see what the word will do for you? It had touched her heart. Now a teenager. It had touched her heart to the point that she had to come to me and say, I'm so sorry. So I'm just ministering love to her. Letting her know what Christ done for her. Letting her know you don't have to stay in that same state. But see, my son still wonder, oh, you, you, you ratted me out. We don't rat people out. You know, that's what young folk do. But see, that's why we got to teach them. And we, when we teach them in the way that they need to go concerning this word, whatever they do outside the word, that's on them. It ain't on us. At least we know we taught them the right way. Because see, when they come in your house, you don't let them use your house in a way that represents the devil. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's resurrection. As for me and my house, we ain't going to be doing this in this house. That may be the way they run their house, but when you come in here, this is the way it's going to be. So if we don't do this as parents, and you can't tell your children to do something that you're not doing. You cannot tell your children, now you know Jesus died for fornication and adultery. Now you know you don't supposed to be sleeping around with that girl, and you got a man in your bed. It's 
Salvation ain't hard. We make it that way. Because when your heart is turned towards him, thank you, Holy Spirit, some of us are around people, children, adults. We know what they're doing wrong, and the Holy Spirit is prompting us to give them truth, and we don't want to do it because we want to keep that relationship. I don't want to say nothing. They might not talk to me no more. But what if they died tonight? And you had the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. You had the opportunity to tell them about his death, burial, and resurrection. Y'all, the way we live, we don't have to live that way because the way has already been made. Jesus made the way for all of us. People get mad because you're living a holy life. I live a holy life because he is holy. And now that I'm in him, I want to live a sanctified life. I want to live a set-apart life. I don't want to live the same life that I live. See, when you become born again, your life is set apart. You don't, why get saved if you're going to live the same way? That's not salvation. When I get saved, see, I come out of the world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. So I don't do what the world does. And even when the world try to pop back up, I have an advocate. I have the Holy Spirit that only testifies, only witness to truth. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. Come on, y'all, quit being friends. When you are friends with the world, you are an enemy with God. This is truth. When you love the world more than you love God, come on, you're his enemy. Jesus died so we don't have to do what the world is doing. He took on every sin. He took it upon himself. Sin ain't the problem. It's rejecting Jesus. That's the problem. You didn't die for it. He did. So we don't try to condemn people. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Mm -mm. We give them the love of God. And what God has done for them to let them know you don't have to live this way. You don't have to live in sin. We come in love. But if you're trying to shut people up to keep friends, you better check your salvation. Because you want people to suffer the wrath to come. That ain't God. See, I don't want people to suffer the wrath to come. This is why I boldly say what God would have me to say. You know why? Because that's the love of God that's in me. So it's time for us to live for Christ. That's the resurrection. It's living for what he has paid for. For what he has done. And the Holy Spirit is telling me this. You know how some people, when somebody dies, they want to keep their memories alive. Every day they're thinking of something to do to keep that person alive. Everything they do, they may wear stuff to represent them. They may talk about what they've done. They even have shrines. Do you know you can have a dead person as an idol? You want people to remember them. You don't want them to be forgotten. So you talk about them. You keep things going about them so the memory will stay alive. If a person is in your heart, they never die. You don't have to show nothing. They never die because you will always hear them. 
You will always hear them say, you know, they ain't right. Girl, I, you know, they ain't right. Now, you ain't trying to make it like a, uh, what you call them things, uh, exes, whatever you call those things, seance. But you keeping them in your heart. That's the, the memory that you have of them. But the most thing that you know for yourself is before they left here, they accepted Jesus. They ain't dead. They still alive. And we're going to have a reunion. See, that's what you got to remember. But when you're trying to keep a dead person alive, you're loving them more than you're loving Christ. Because if you're talking about them more than you're talking about Christ, you're putting them before Christ. That's not what we do. Hmm. We got some mad people now. It's all right. Because knowing the truth is what makes you free. If I'm giving you the truth, you're supposed to accept this truth. And if you're not accepting the truth, it's not on me. It's on you. So it's time for us to live for Christ. And that is the resurrection. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to go ahead and have our announcements. And if we have any visitors today that would like to stand, please feel free to do so at this time. Hallelujah. Can you um, 